episode three of the Untucked Podcasts. I'm Top Cat. Arms here with me again, and tonight we're also welcoming on the ever loquacious C. Cox. How you doing tonight, man? All right. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Well, let's just dive right on in. Last week, rough overtime loss. What were some of your more outstanding takes from it? Well, and I think a lot of these have have been pretty well covered so far, but. You know, the, I just felt like the defense really did not play well, secondary in particular. This is like maybe the first time uh, where we were really exposed at the safety position pretty badly. And, and of course, our linebacker play. I think, you know, overall tanking I thought was pretty good, but that was kind of where it ended at, at, on the linebacker side. And so we got exposed, I think, a little bit defensively, and that was problematic. Our pass rush wasn't real good. I know they were trying to be disciplined and not get too deep, but they did anyway. Uh, gave up a lot of long runs on scrambles, and you know. So I think defense was probably the uh, the thing that really stood out. But the other thing I'd say is on the offensive side of the ball, Hertz just should not have been playing. I mean, there was just it's clear he was. 50, 60%, something like that. He just couldn't run. And I, I ran a couple numbers here. This is kind of interesting. Texas defense has really come on since the Maryland game. Uh, against Maryland, they gave up 263 yards on the ground, 6.1 yards per carry. But against Iowa State and USC, they really clamped down. USC, I think they had 71 yards rushing, 1.9 yards per carry. Against Iowa State, they had a grand total of 10 yards rushing, 0.7 yards per carry. So when you think about about it that way, Texas defense, I think, is really starting to come around. They're starting to buy in, getting the right people in the right place. And so we we did move the ball relatively well, all that considered, but we probably should have been going with Delton uh, from the beginning. At least that's my view. And of course, I think we do still try to put square pegs and round holes. Yeah, maybe to transition from that, what is your take on square pegs and round holes and maybe a little bit of the play calling and everyone's favorite coach, Dimmel? <laughs> well, I think there are a couple of different schools of thought that are pretty common, and mine's probably from a, a third point of view. One common point of view is you'll hear a lot of fans who will complain about the play calling. Maybe they're, they'll be upset that we throw three passes in a row or three runs in a row. And, and so they're looking at play calling from a micro perspective. And obviously a lot of times that's designed to try to break down a D, draw safeties up, draw people closer to their line so you can get something over the top, things like that. So that's one perspective. I don't really think that was our problem. Uh, on the other side, you'll hear people who are dismissive of the simpleton fan take and it's, you know, play calling is not a problem. You know, th- these are just fans who don't understand the game. I don't buy that either. I, I don't so much think that we can just say our, we didn't have a problem with what we were trying to do in our offense. I think we do have a problem with what we're trying to do. We were trying to ask Jesse Ertz to run the ball on a gimpy leg. That's a square peg in a round hole. We were trying to ask, and we continue to try to ask, Alex Barnes to run these stretch zone blocking plays off tackle and again running east and west that's not something if he can't get his shoulders square he is not going to 
pick up three to four yards minimum every carry. Uh, if he can get his shoulder square and lower his helmet, he, he will always pick up yardage. We seem not to be doing that. He's running upright. He's running east and west. He never squares his shoulders. So we're using him the wrong way, I think. And then in the passing game, obviously, we're just seeding the entire middle of the field. Rarely run slants and just seem to be enamored with go routes and sideline and fades and you know when you when you're throwing those to five foot seven inch receivers uh, I don't think you're going to win too many of those battles so to me those are all square pegs in round holes and and it's really more about not leveraging our strengths that's my objection with the play calling is not playing to our team's strengths and and just this preoccupation really with taking what the defense gives us rather than show confidence in your team and and convince them that they can enforce their will, impose their will on the opponent. I think we have enough physical guys who could do that, but for some reason we seem to believe otherwise. Yeah, the two biggest takeaways I had on offense were why has Dalton Schoen not seen more time, for starters? And second of all, I know you touched on Alex Dalton a little bit, and the na- the knock on him has always been well his arm is terrible but the three passes he threw on Saturday I mean they were they weren't flawless but I I thought they looked pretty adequate I guess for a guy to to at least take a little pressure off the offensive line from not stacking the box I guess but um, mm-hmm. w- would you agree with that absolutely yeah isn't that really the aren't those the first passes he's thrown against legitimate opponents with the game on the line you know we haven't even given the kid a chance yet so i you wouldn't expect him to be flawless right out of the gate uh, i thought he was fantastic uh, I, I, did I, too. I couldn't believe that he was able even when the entire they had 10 in the box on one play where he got nine yards you know, it, it, <laughs> the kid has some vision. He can. He's, he's a two or three cut runner, and his. And I agree with you, uh, TC. His his passing looks like it can be plenty to go along with his legs. And I hope I hope he gets a chance to develop and and maybe show us a little bit. Well, and and the the other part that worries me is like we touched on the play calling, whether it'll be super conservative to the point where they will stack the box every single time and until he's absolutely forced to make throws that he shouldn't probably have to make and gets everyone in trouble, kind of a little bit like Daniel Sams in 2013, um, like against Oklahoma State, but even more specifically Baylor. Um, that's kind of how I think this ultimately ends up. But Yeah, it sure is looking a lot like that. And But again, I, you know, is he – I don't know what his arm is like. I don't know if he if he's – if he's better throwing sideline, you know, fade, or or if he can see the field across the middle and and make those more dangerous throws that need to be, you know, where you need to make sure you see defenders coming from both both directions. If he can show if he can show that he can throw the ball across the middle, I would think that would suit his talent very well, and that's kind of what I'm, I'll be looking for going forward, so long as he's uh, our quarterback. Yeah, they need to give them some easy passes. I mean, they should have done that with thirds anyway, and they've never yeah. done that, So, but let's build the guy's confidence, maybe a little bit. I don't know. You know, I don't. Dimmel's a top five genius. Just ask him. So that's how it goes. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> give us your uh, 
maybe a quick breakdown on TCU and thoughts towards possibly a prediction. Okay. Well, you, you, you guys may have noticed this. You may not have. I rarely make predictions. But since you have me on the podcast, I feel obligated to, to do that. So I'll, I'll maybe say a couple things. I think they're a very good football team, and I think we've got our hands full. Uh, they're good on both sides. And I just don't know if our defense is really going to be up to the challenge of a, of a mobile quarterback who also can sling it around. I mean, he's kind of a little bit like Erling, only with a lot more experience. He's not as, I don't think he's as heavy, but he's certainly got a lot more experience and he's faster. So I, I'm worried about this game. I know there are a lot of people who feel like we're going to bounce back and that could happen. Um, but I'm not sure we match up all that well. And I guess I'll just jump right to it. If you make me predict today, I don't know. I have a feeling we're, we're going to be settling for some field goals. So I'll say something like 19 for the good guys and probably uh, 31 for, for TCU, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's going to be the whole breakdown of Kenny Hill, right? If he's the 70% passer he is this year with speed to burn. Yeah. Yeah, that's, all, that's asking a lot. And, and, you know, I think losing uh, more in our secondary is, is, is really exposing us. Um, you know, I thought, I forgot who, who had this idea. Might have been Derek Young on KSO uh, had the idea that he'd like to see maybe, who am I trying to think of? Elijah uh, Walker. Walker. No, yeah, well, Walker moving into DJ's uh, corner spot and maybe DJ in, as, as our nickel. I, I I know you might not be big on that, but I actually think that's a pretty good idea. DJ's a physical corner, and he also has closing speed and and can make up ground quickly, and I think he would be really good in that slot. I doubt they'll do it, but I think that might be our best use of talent. I, I don't know. I just I didn't feel too too good about the way we looked at, at, at that nickel slot after Warren went out. Well, Durham looked pretty pretty bad and I, I mean it wasn't just Saturday either he's been he's been yeah. chasing his guys and he has not been in very good position for most of the year when he's been oh. on the field but the one thing I that would worry me from Walker playing him at corners I don't know laterally whether he'd have well I don't know he might but to have the, the coverage skills because I know he's been a little spotty there and a the little bit of time he's seen but who knows it could work yeah. I guess yeah, it could be and, and actually uh, Parker actually I think is another guy I mean why, why not Maybe give him a look, um, and and then uh, maybe move uh, move DJ into the slot, get Durham off the field. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That would be. I think that would still put put more talent on the field, more speed on the field. I don't know. I, we're going to have our hands full. This is going to be a tough game. Yep. Well, and I think I think stopping the run is going to be the the biggest problem. Which I don't know. Yeah. I guess if it was up to me, I'd rather be trying to stop the run than the pass, but. Either way, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think we'll be okay, though. Uh, the, the part of the run game that, uh, you know, Hayes' defenses have been pretty good against the run pretty much the whole time he's been here. I mean, we even, heck, we've had some serviceable defenses, at least against the run, with some pretty marginal talent. And I think we have a little better talent than that now i mean i personally i think tanking is a little underappreciated i'm probably higher on him maybe than you guys but he's a really good inside linebacker against the run 
and our our defensive line is outstanding in, against the against the run. Geary's just a beast. He won't be denied one way or another. So I, I think we can be okay against the run. It's the quarterback run game where I think we we can get in trouble, and then you know just Hill, Hill's just going to make a lot of things happen um, with both phases of the game, and that's I, I'm not sure we can contain him. Well, I think for the record, we called tanking an SEC caliber linebacker where the side to side speed wasn't a big of a deal. Yeah. He, in that sense, he's a he's a player when he's when he's there. When he's yeah. he, he can't be the QB spy on Hill. Absolutely not. Um, or that's going to be a problem. And and yeah. again, you watch it last week with Texas and Malik Jefferson, who is like the Bill Snyder dream linebacker. Oh. Oh, he's so good. And, uh, you know, he's clearly not that, but that's unfair. And, I, yeah, you're probably right. He's a little underappreciated. No, he's definitely – I've been as hard on him as anybody, but he's been pleasantly surprising so far. But I guess back to the mobile quarterback thing, when was the last time a mobile quarterback at the Power 5 level didn't absolutely shred us? Ooh, that's a good question. Because I was thinking about that the other day. I know we've seen a few in the non-cons, but I cannot think of one off the top of my head that we actually slow down pretty well. Yeah, that's going to be tough. I, I'm not thinking maybe one of the West Virginia games. Maybe, yeah. That'd be, yeah, that'd be probably had, the closest. Yeah. But they don't really focus near as much on the QB run as some of the other OUs. No. No, who was it last year? Skylar Howard? Yeah, um, he was not yeah, very mobile. He was a fairly mobile guy, and I feel like we were pretty good against him. Yeah, we. <laughs> the point remains, we're we're, we're going to struggle in this mobile quarterback. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I think so. This is a this. I think this TCU team. I still think they are just at this. I think they are just as likely to win the league as Oklahoma. Oklahoma State. I know obviously is, is still in that mix and, you know, a little setback for TCU. But I, I, I still think TCU and Oklahoma, in terms of the eye test, look like the best two teams in the league. Yeah. Well, the one thing with the TCU is they still have to play in Norman. So. That's true. Yeah. But all they have to do is make the championship well, that's, game. Well, that's, that's, that's a good point. They just make the championship game. Yep. yep. And it could be a fun little three-way tie with Oklahoma State, TCU, and, and OU <laughs> at the top if, if things all yeah. worked out. But anyway. Well, and that kind of brings us down to, I know we've talked a little bit about this possibly being coaches last season. What are your thoughts on that whole thing, especially, you know, who's going to replace him or what are your thoughts on Sean? Uh, same, well, same. I, let me share with this audience maybe uh, something I've also posted on, on KSO. I, I view, to me, it seems like Jim Levitt wants the job. So I view Jim Levitt's resume as the standard that any coach we would hire should have to beat. If we can't, if we can't bring someone in who has a better chance to win here than Jim Levitt, then Jim Levitt should be the hire. And in fact, I actually think he would be a good hire in his own right. I mean, I'd be fine with Jim Jim Levitt. Would love to take a run at Venables. Would even love to take a run at some other candidates. A guy like Scott Frost, but. I don't. He's not going to be available. I don't think that's a realistic, not likely to be a realistic choice, especially with Riley on the hot seat. So, to me, I, I you know, what rational argument could one make that Sean Snyder is a better candidate than Jim Levitt? 
Well, because Bill says so. That's the, <laughs> that's the argument. Well, I don't know yeah. if it's rational, but that's the argument. Yeah, and, and you know, wouldn't that change? I don't know how you feel about this. Wouldn't that change his legacy? I mean, at some point, he's putting his family or his personal interests above the programs. And I know he could make the argument, well, I know this program better than anyone, and you just have to trust me. And there's certainly some truth to that. But I also think it's fair to say maybe his judgment's a little clouded on this issue if he really believes Sean is the best prepared candidate to take over. Yeah, the only way you can even make an argument at all is to say that Jim Levitt suddenly doesn't want the job, what if for whatever reason, and then Sean is your ninth choice. But I think you there's some guys down in Texas that are doing some things in smaller schools that are still better. So I don't get there, but that's the argument. So yeah, it's it's everywhere. That's right. And who's the uh, bull? Is, uh, is that who I'm trying to think of? Wyoming. Craig Bull. Yep. Yeah, Craig Bull. I mean. Look, what is he? He's got to be 60 or somewhere around there. Yeah. He, he, if Levitt says no, Bull would be a reasonable, I think, choice or a more reasonable choice. If we really get to the point where we're not attracting the kinds of candidates that, that we might think we, we could attract, there are still some other candidates out there that I think would likely respond. And, you know, we've heard from some other folks uh, a, a few years ago that there was considerable interest in the job and and that maybe more there was more interest than what people thought there might be now who knows maybe that was john curry uh, you know working working back channels in order to try to put pressure on coach to to step down so he could make make his hire uh that may have been part of that feud i don't know but yeah, yeah. i think the final the final thought on it is that the to do Sean as the coach is such a small time thinking, which I think a lot of fans are afraid of K-State thinking small time. But, you know, the reason why the KU hire is failing and is going to fail was they thought small time, thought they would save money in a sport that's literally printing money for now. That's a whole nother conversation, but it is. And tried to hire a recruiting coordinator, not even a regular coordinator, and pay 800000 Why well, pointed it out, as soon as it happened, this won't work. He's not the right, and that's that's what this hire is. And they're going to sit there and say, and what I what I'm super afraid of is that they say, not only are we going to pay you half a million dollars, we're going to pay you two point five like your dad makes, and then cut into everything else, which gives it no chance. If the guy is willing to do it for you know not a raise, and he shouldn't do it for not a raise, that's insulting to him, and then spend money elsewhere, fine. But it's just so small time, and they're not going to do it, and. It just makes me mad thinking about it. So, yeah, and I have to say, I, I I have to give you props, Arm, because I had been taking kind of a wait and see approach with our AD, and I, every week I get a little more nervous. I think you may have been right from the beginning. <laughs> I uh, you know, I appreciate. Don't, don't stroke it. his ego too much here. I know it's, it's growing <laughs> right now, but. Uh, Let's hard transition. Uh, we might do another podcast to really get your breakdown on this, but let's do a quick rapid fire K-State basketball discussion record, maybe, or standing in the Big 12 and a quick word or two on some of the more important players. Ooh, okay. Um, well, my biggest fear is if we can't be a threat uh, from the perimeter, 
uh, we're in big trouble because we certainly aren't going to do anything from the paint. And so, so let's look at our perimeter threat. You got to believe most of the minutes at the one and two are going to go to Stokes and Brown. Well, Stokes is a five ten-ish point guard who I think has beautiful shooting mechanics. I think, it, given a little bit of space, he could be a great shooter. And actually, his percentage behind the arc is actually pretty good. So he's a decent three-point shooter, but he needs a little space to get a shot off. Uh, and he can shoot it off the bounce, but again, he needs a little space, and it's hard hard to create that for him. Brown, on the other hand, he is so active defensively. He wears himself out, and we need him to be active defensively. And if you combine that with a fundamentally ugly shot, you know, he was not good from behind the arc last year. And that's what worries me. We've got to draw a defense out, uh, and that'll create, I think, a lot more action, a lot more space, allow us to move the ball a little bit. Um, still a little concerned about ball handling. I mean, anytime we were relying so much on on our three to bring the ball up last year, uh, I'm hoping that we can get a little bit of that from, oh shoot, now I'm blanking, uh, point guard from, from, oh. from South Carolina. DR. Uh, DR, thank you. Hopefully we can get a little bit of that from DR. But my, I guess my primary concerns are, will Brown take a step forward, become a better shooter, be able to contribute a little bit more reliably uh, from the perimeter? Can he do a better job of finishing at the rim? He can get to the rim, but, and, and he's a, he was a fair finisher his freshman year. I think he took a little bit of a step back last year. Dean Wade has to develop more confidence. And then the Achilles heel of this team, I think, is going to be uh, defensive rebounding. None of those guys are physical. They don't go after the ball. They can't. They don't block out. We're going to have. I think we'll rely a lot on our, on our three and and even on our guards to get weak side rebounds. So I don't know. I I'm I'm a little concerned. I, I think overall. I think the irony is that next year they might be a little bit better. They should be a good enough team to make the tournament next year. If you make me say now, though, I think we're just on the outside looking in. Uh, we, and I think we could finish as low as uh, eighth or ninth if if uh, things don't come together. Best case scenario, maybe sixth. Unfortunately, I think most people, well, most people think worse, but I'm kind of where you're at. And the biggest problem for me to, to wrap it up is that you need everything to go right to have a good team. And his tenure is marked by never having everything go right, let alone almost anything go right. He almost, I would joke that the basketball gods hate Bruce Weber because anything that can go wrong does. And if that happens this year, yeah, you're looking at the bottom. Yeah, it, it very well could be. I mean, it's not out of out of the picture. I do think he's a really good bench coach during the games. Uh, really, that might be a little bit of a stretch. I think he's a good bench coach. I think the issue that we have is that I just don't believe he develops toughness and, and accountability from his squad. I'm not convinced he's good at managing his locker room, and that all takes place before game day. And so I'm really, I guess I, I'm hopeful that his X and O coaching can maybe keep us out of the cellar, but it, it could be a rough year. I, I think ninth or 10th is very much in play, but that's my opinion. I know you're kind of from out in the area, but last week we kind of touched on the NCAA arrests the Adidas and things and stuff, but and Rick Pitino, especially in Louisville, you're from that area. I guess what are your immediate reactions to that? 
Well, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. There are some interesting uh, developments even recently. Uh, you may have heard this today, but uh, Paget added Trent Johnson, uh, the former uh, TCU and LSU coach, to his bench. Uh, so he's bringing in someone with multiple uh, P5 head coaching experience uh, to his bench. So maybe they'll salvage. Uh, they've got a good team coming back, and maybe they'll be able to salvage a little bit of that uh, just in terms of the UofL season. In terms of overall impact on, on college basketball, you may have also heard this. The NCAA announced that they will be forming a task force with Condoleezza Rice heading it up, basically saying the current model is broken. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Personally, I have two kids, one who's graduated from UofL, one who's a senior there now. And so I'm a little bit of a closet UofL fan. I don't uh, go to a lot of games. I get tickets now and then. And so I sort of root for them a little bit. And the only I've been taking a lot of heat from the UK fans in this area who know I have uh, some tie to UofL and and the, the comment I make, I make to them is, look, this scandal, UofL deserves everything that's coming its way. Having said that, it's only good for college basketball if it cleans every program up and if everyone is exposed in the same way. Everybody who's been playing the same game should be exposed in the same way. So I'm hoping that the light will be shown on a lot of other programs as well, including the one just a few miles east of Manhattan, because there is, <laughs> you know, in fact, if you if you look at the history of some of the KU commits, several of them came not out of nowhere necessarily, but were thought to be heavy leans to other schools, uh, including who was the guard uh, from a couple years ago. Most people thought he was going to UK, and he ends up at uh, KU. Uh, who am I trying to think of? Wiggins. Yeah. And there's got to be similar stories behind athletes like that as well. So I'm hoping that it, the cover just gets completely uh, blown off of of all of this, it would certainly help schools like Kansas state. I would think, uh, because we certainly aren't in, in the mix for any of those players. Do you don't think Bruce has his hands dirty at all? Well, I wouldn't go that far. I think, <laughs> I think probably all of them, uh, I don't know if he personally has his hands dirty, but I wouldn't, I, it wouldn't, I, I would expect that the program is not completely clean. How about I say that? But we're certainly not in in the mix for and have no chance for even the better, not even just the elite, but even the better prospects, because even the, the four star guys are being steered uh, by handlers. And, uh, you know, you, you got to believe that a school like a Kansas State could at least be in the running with a good recruiter and a good coach for some of those players from time to time. And I think it's really hard unless you really want to play that game and, and are at the right school. Uh, hey, one more thing real quick on U of L. There are so, there are some rumblings today and yesterday. I've been hearing some rumblings. I have a few connections to their athletic department. And there are some people who are saying that Tom Jurich may not be out for good as their athletic director. Uh, so that'll be something. If if anyone cares, that'll be something to keep keep their eye keep, for people to keep their eyes on. Oh, absolutely! That'd be insane. 
right? I mean, that guy's. It just... would be absolutely insane. Having said that, if you look at what he has done for that department during his tenure, it is unbelievable. He might, if Bill Snyder is the coach of the century, Jurich might be the AD of the century. Yeah, yeah look, Penn State, uh, you know, build statues to their guy and Baylor. <laughs> Baylor protests for, uh, you know, cab coach Art Bryles to come back. So, you know, maybe Patino's just taking a, a year off and then he can be back. So. No, I think Patino is absolutely done. In fact, even Jurich, his close confidant, uh, said that if he had known that Patino was coach number two, he would have fired him before he was relieved of his own duties. Hmm. So, uh, for what it's worth, maybe he's just trying to, uh, maybe they're trying to find a cover for bringing him back. Uh, I don't know. but Because the uh, rumor was he was told to fire him and he said no. Right. And, and that definitely happened this summer. That happened, but but it was before this, this most recent scandal broke. He was asked to fire him over all the strippers in the dorms. And he said no. And, and in fact, even said, if he goes, I go. So he really kind of put U of L in a in a tough position, and they didn't want to lose both of them. So, so they kind of let it stand. And there was a rumor he did the same thing in a recent meeting with the interim president. And that it's not as clear that that's true at this point. I have some people have told me that is true, and others who who I think are in a good position to know have said that part of it is not true. That it was true. He said. He was put in that position this summer, but not not over the recent scandal. What people are saying more recently is that they were both fired pretty much immediately, or not fired, but put on administrative leave uh, pretty much immediately once the scandal broke. Well, that's insightful. So thank you. Yeah, this is no uh, this has been a lot of fun. If I'm being 100 percent honest, appreciate it, man. Uh, it's been very illuminating and. <laughs> We would. Uh, I think I speak for Arm when I say we would love to have you back. Maybe even during Bruce ball season. Oh, would love to do that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. You guys have done a great job with the podcast so far, and uh, I'm looking forward to continuing to listen and be happy to come back anytime. All right, you're All right, always you. you're always welcome, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, y'all take care. Yeah. Thanks again to C Cox. I could listen to him go on and on for hours, I think. That guy, he knows what he's talking about, and he brings some interesting points of view. But now, let's get to the post of the week. This week's post is from Catapult1, titled, Hear Me Out. And it goes, quote, Has political correctness and liberalism played a part in taking down KSU football? I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer, okay. I have thought about it and have an opinion. But my opinion, like everyone else's, is never wrong because an opinion can't be wrong. Ten years ago, before everyone got on the concussion train, football used to be Von Clausewitz shit, total blanking war. I remember the hits on Apple White and Jason White. I remember James Terry decleating a Texas defender. I now see our defense pulling up and scared to tackle. Football has changed and it has really hurt KSU. It has hurt us more than others because we are and always will be the underdog. Little brother on the block. We are better served coming out and being ultra-physical, sending the message to big brother, parentheses, Texas, OU, and pretty much every other team we play, close parentheses, 
that they better strap it on because we're here to go toe-to-toe with them. No backing down. Now, we can't send that message without getting penalized. Spelled wrong. Uh, parentheses, C.R. Walker penalty spelled wrong again last night. Close parentheses. I just think the game changing has hurt our style. That's all. Thoughts, period. By the way, KSO crew is awesome. End quote. I mean, that's a take. That's a take. I mean, where do you want to go with this, right? So we get we can break it down. I like kind of my troll style is to take everything literally and serious and then respond back. But let's let's just go from the first part of it, right? That the idea that opinions can't be wrong is, is wrong. part of the snowflake culture that is out there because opinions can be wrong because this one is. <laughs> I can, and so we. You have that, so that he's already talked himself into a circle and argued against himself and lost, which is my favorite argument to make, but I don't even see where this exists. K-State has changed because they're no longer as crisp. I think we've always alluded to on the boards that this is no longer a Bill Snyder coach team the way it used to be. And, you know, Bill Snyder's, the famous story is when they were flying over for the bowl game in Japan or wherever, they had them sleep on certain sides keep every, like that's this guy's attention to detail and now you know we just had this lesson on play calling at and how this isn't we're doing we're not even doing that right anymore so that's the change in k-state football but we don't want to get into it on this podcast but that's the perfect reflection of where society is politically is my guess i think my very favorite part of that whole post is the title hear me out because if you ever heard someone say hear me out and then immediately not thought Okay, this is going to be terrible. That 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 one is the uh, it proves the rule, right? So, yeah. Well, thanks to Catapult One for that um, take. Uh, best bet this week. Last week I had Utah plus five and a half against Stanford. They did lose, but they did cover. So I am one to know. You also, I think you specifically said bet the house on Vandy to co- uh, to not cover and also hit the under, which they did not score, and they still hit the under. Yeah, that was a betting strategy, and and just to get right into it, I wonder, looking at the lines now, if that's now over, because Vandy's actually an underdog on the road to a horrendous Ole Miss team. So when we talked and looked at these lines, I almost now want to flip to the other side because it's gotten crazy right and so the emotions are in it the one i feel most confident about to put up to be judged against is oklahoma state versus baylor and right now it's at 25.5 points oklahoma state for the most part throttles baylor at home so that's my go-to let's hear yours and i'll i'll share a couple others i like after maybe well i'm not quite Uh, as uh firm on this week's pick but i did go with our game, K-State TCU, uh, TCU minus six. I really think it'll be a nail-biter all the way down, and I think K-State has a reasonable chance to win. I don't think they will win. I think it'll end up being probably a three- or four-point loss, something like that, but I do feel pretty confident they'll cover. What else going did you up have? Against our, uh, going up against our guest host this week, I see. But um, It's a great feeling. The other, <laughs> the other two I would look at is... I might be alone on this one, but I expect a bounce-back week for OU against Texas. The line is eight. Uh, That's a rivalry game, so I understand every argument that goes for it. But 
OU has to show out. And if he doesn't win or wins close, Riley's actually going to go quickly to an uncomfortable place. So I don't think they get there. I think they cover. And again, I would look at Vandy now to cover against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is probably even worse than Vandy, but I I don't feel super confident on that one. I just like to bet Vandy since we saw them so close and the loss still six in my head. So, Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, the game this weekend, what are some of your keys and, and what do you have for a score prediction? Yeah, so the biggest breakdown for this week going forward is Kenny Hill and who is he, right? I think when we saw him first enter the Big 12, he was still the Kenny Trill from Texas A&M who was overrated I and mean, I don't think scared anyone. And I think I think the stats kind of proved it. He was a 61% completion yesterday, last year, uh, 17 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, good for a 129 rating. Well, so far this year, 154 QB rating, 10 to 3 touchdown interception. And then what's what's crazy is a 69% completion rate. And as we've already alluded to, openly discussed, that mobile quarterbacks who are accurate can demolish us. And I think you saw last week with Jade Kirby, just they, they don't feel confident with their linebackers to contain, and so they're going to blitz. And I think the film's there to beat our zero blitzes. And if they do that, in case they continues to blitz and to do that sort of thing and expect the bend but don't break to work against this new Kenny Hill, I mean, you're kind of starting, I think, to talk about a blowout loss. And that's not good. Um, well, I the couple things that concern me, one, the defensive line, you know, last week Texas threw 51 times, not one sack was recorded. So that's a problem. And I, I think Kenny Hill, he's going to have all kinds of running room because we talked about it earlier. When was the last time we stopped a mobile quarterback or contained him even for that matter? And then Durham, I, I really hope Parker sees some time there. I know Cree Moore was a little, maybe even a little underappreciated for what he did in the secondary there at the nickel spot. But I, I think Durham, if he plays a lot, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. TCU, they boast the number one rush offense in the league, which, like I said, I would rather be going against a tough run offense than a passing offense, but they, they've been really, really good, and it's going to be a challenge, especially for, for Kirby, especially if he's getting pancaked at the line and, and can't contain anybody or get any penetration at all. So somehow, yeah. somehow I sound way less optimistic now, breaking it all down, than I did when I made my prediction for the best bet, but somehow... Maybe it'll just be some magic from Delton or Skyler Thompson or somebody, but I do think it'll be a close game down in the end. Yeah, I think the way you break in a Delton, I think the way K-State's going to finally go back to managing the game the way they used to, which is important. That means less deep throws. Uh, they're going to stop testing that, hopefully. And so, yeah, you do that, you reduce mistakes, and you can keep the game close and get a couple lucky bounces, and you can win. I think that that's the best case scenario and because they don't have this quarterback they absolutely are in love with and trying to literally ruin the guy's knees they might go back to where they were successful with the call and clients before he blew up and so i see that but tcu can run the ball they can they can throw the ball we don't do well against options offenses that have options so if i had to give you my prediction I think I think we'll score. I think we'll be all right there. But let's go thirty-eight to twenty-eight. Bad guys. Really, you're gonna go that high? Okay. I think I'd go twenty-eight, twenty-four. Bad guys. I think. Just a gut feeling. 
Not a whole lot of evidence to back up that prediction, but a lot of faith in Dalton, maybe. Yeah. I mean, look, if they hold, you know, if we hold them to 28, you got to start talking now as your most recent example of containing a mobile quarterback. Yeah. I, I mean, he could still run all over you. He just might not get the touchdowns. But yeah, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. It'll be interesting for sure, and especially if it's thunderstorming. There might not be a ton of fans in the crowd, but. Hopefully there is. It could be could make for an electric act atmosphere if it is full. So, but I think that's probably going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Um, did you have any other thoughts before we go? Yeah, I think to just bring up a rant again. That play call series at the end of the game that almost cost us the game was so bad that you need to start talking about someone getting demoted. We didn't touch on it a whole lot here, uh, but. That's a big deal. And you touched on this other one that Dalton Schoen should absolutely have started. He should have been a starter this season. And so I'm wondering where this decision-making, where who's in control of this program. And I know that's a hard question to ask, and you probably won't ever get that answered seriously. But, man, <laughs> we're going to keep talking about this. And this is sort of like the cracks in the foundation of a legend, right? I think you're absolutely right. I've, I've been concerned off and on, more on, ever since, uh, well, the last time TCU came to Manhattan, blowing that 18-point halftime lead. I've really questioned what's going on internally ever since then. I guess you just got to hope for the best at this point. Uh, trust in Sean. Yeah, trust in Sean, I guess. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Hashtag hope, right? Uh, absolutely. Well, I think that's going to do it. Hopefully... Cats can pull out a semi-miracle this weekend. Yeah, let's go Cats. Go Cats. Go Cats.